I'm Charles Coplin, and you are listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature. My guests today are Betsy Mortensen and Harrison Goodale, the husband and wife team are the co-founders and co-CEOs of Sustain Music and Nature, an organization that I am proud to serve as a member of the advisory board. I asked them to explain what we do. So Sustain Music and Nature is a nonprofit that uses music to get people engaged with the outdoors and the environment. And we were founded in 2015. And so let's go back six years ago. How did it start? Um, I would, this is Harrison, by the way, I would say um, kind of evolved out of um, the time when uh, my, my old band Parson Field was doing a run up in Canada and we were up having a residence, residency up there for about six months. Um, and Betsy was up visiting and we were kind of just thinking about ways that we could be, I, I guess, use our different um, passions uh, to, to create something together. Um, Betsy at the time was living in New York and was really missing the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just the the traveling, getting out of the city and I mean, going to a new place, I think started some creative just brainstorming and so we spent a lot of time in in this one coffee shop in Toronto uh, called Fika um, which had amazing cardamom iced coffee Um, so we spent a lot of time there just kind of thinking about big picture like what our our dream would be for like how we could use music um, and then Betsy's background in, in conservation and how we could kind of just just create something together that was fun for us to work on um you know, together. And, and that's kind of how Sustain started was actually really with the songscapes idea that Betsy had of, of um, you know, using contemporary music um, as a way to, to reach people. Because a lot of national parks um, have uh, residency, residency programs for um, more like classical music and, and poetry, um, which is fantastic. But we were noticing that there wasn't really something out there for contemporary music. Um, so that's kind of where we, we started um, thinking about how we could uh, bring that to life. So it was a caffeine-infused session, which led to yes. the creation of Sustain. <laughs> and Toronto was a great city. I spent a lot of time there. So, um, so Harrison, I mean, I'm going to ask Betsy a lot of questions about herself, but you were a working musician. You were in a band called Parsons Field. Like, can you talk a little bit about the band and you know how hard was the decision to leave the band and and why did you leave the band yeah yeah that's a great question um yeah so i guess i mean we had been working uh you know touring for about seven and a half years um and we we had some pretty good um success um over over the years we you know we were on a um a record label uh, we had a bu- uh, booking agency we were on paradigm um and you know we were opening for some pretty pretty great acts um we're starting to see some growth with um our own uh, headlining shows in in different markets um but really it was for me it was a combination of i was just getting burnt out from touring you know we were gone like 200 days out of the year um and 
it, we kind of got to a point where we, I think we plateaued a little bit. Um, and to me anyway, it kind of seemed like, um, it, just like the, the time and effort that we we're putting into it there, I wasn't, you know, we weren't really seeing the returns in terms of, uh, uh is this like a viable long-term option for, for my goals? Um, you know, everyone in, in the band has their own, uh, different goals. Um, and I think there is a little bit of, um, uh, just like push and pull between what different members wanted. Um, and for me, I was just getting burnt out and, you know, financially as well. Like, you know, I, I had student loans, like I <laughs> were kind of, uh, dealing with that over my head. Um, and so, you know, being in a band, um, doesn't exactly, uh, always pay the bills. Um, and so I really, it was a combination of financial and then just also just being, um, you know, physically and, and emotionally just drained from late, late hours and <laughs> just, just traveling. Um, so I, I really was missing, uh, I think just, I mean, number one, Betsy, but also, uh, just, um, I think community and, um, just setting some roots down. Like it's really difficult, uh, when you're in a band to, um, to stay in touch with people. Um, and you kind of just, I, I think after a while you kind of just feel like you're alone, even though you're in front of, you know, hundreds of people every night. Um, it, there is a sense of just like after the show, you're like, well, uh, I, <laughs> by myself for a lot of the time. So, um, I think it was just a combination of those kind of factors that really went into why, um, I wanted to, you know, leave the band and pursue, um, some different, um, you know, artistic, uh, avenues. So in case it's not clear for people listening, you guys are not only the co-founders of Sustain, your husband and wife. And, uh, mm-hmm. I think yeah. it would, I think it would be interesting to talk about how the two of you met. Well, sure. <laughs> uh, we just ter- told our interns yesterday <laughs> yeah. uh, when they came over for a farm fresh dinner. Um, so I had finished my master's degree at Cambridge in environmental philosophy and I had been studying chimpanzees. And then I realized uh, no one wants to hire me. And I'm stuck at home with my parents, whom I love. But when you're 22 and annoyed at the world, that includes your parents. Um, and so I decided, like, darn well, it. I have a 23-year-old. Yeah. I just, I just want to point that out. You understand. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, do. So um, I decided, like, the heck with this living-at-home situation. I'm going to move back to Colorado, where I did my undergrad at Colorado State University uh, in wildlife biology. And as I was preparing to make that drive across country, I remembered a band, Parsons Field, that I was like, oh, they were really fun. Like, I should go listen to them one more time because they're not famous, so they're probably not coming to Colorado. (laughs) Um, And so went to the show. All my friends ditched me. So it was just me. And I struck up conversation with Harrison and yeah, we were playing at a little coffee coffee shop in Eastern Connecticut. Um, yeah, and I saw Betsy's really cute girl over there, and, and with no friends. <laughs> well, and then I uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to go introduce myself, and we started talking. And we we're talking about like Cooking. cookware and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, yeah, the rest is history from there. But we, you know, kept kept in touch with you know you moving cross country, they moved back. Um, then you moved to New York and, um, yeah, 
now here we are, yeah. <laughs> almost 10 years later. So clearly coffee shops are very instrumental in in both your yeah. business yes. and personal. Yeah, I, I'd say. Yeah, so I, that, which is a good segue into my next question, which is how do you guys do? I love my wife very much. I would not want to work with my wife, even though that would be me, not her. She would be wonderful. I, I would be the problem. How do you guys <laughs> balance the professional and the personal? Uh, that's a great question. I feel like we probably do a little bit more work than we ought to. Like whenever we take the dog on a walk, we're always like, oh, what about this for sustain? Or like brainstorming or like there's no hard boundaries on work time. But it's also something that we love doing and that feels like a very creative process at least for me yeah um, yeah yeah I think um I mean I think that's something that you know we're still learning how to balance that um especially since you know since kind of transitioning out of being in the band since I'm here you know and being able to to work on sustain more um just more than I was able to when I was on the road I think we're still kind of balancing like when you know, when we have sustained stuff and like when we're like, okay, we're going to not Unplugged. do that. Yeah. Maybe we'll just do like an hour of like paint by number and just not <laughs> think about work at all. Just like, I think trying to be better about um, setting our own boundaries, whatever that means. Like, okay, after 6 PM, like we're done talking about this. Maybe like if there's a brainstorm, like we'll write an idea down, but we're not like, um, clocking in yeah clocking in to the, the time clock and and I think like one thing that helps is my background is totally different from yours so it's conservation and wildlife biology and public lands policy and advocacy and yours is music music mm -hmm. industry stuff I don't know that much about so a lot of tasks I can just be like Harrison <laughs> this is you you deal with it however you deal with it I don't care <laughs> so there's a lot of autonomy yeah, yeah. <laughs> just knowing what what the other person's good at and you know kind of relying on on them to to help out when you have a question yeah but betsy i mean in doing my research even though we know each other well i i i guess i really didn't realize like you were a musician and so I'm curious, like, do you still play? Do you have musical aspirations? And yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the environment stuff, but there's a lot of music in your DNA. Yeah. Um, I think my great, great grandfather won the fiddling, uh, fiddler of new England competition back in the late 1800s. Something. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Silly. Um, but impressive. Uh, and my mom uh, was a elementary school music teacher, and so I got forced into playing piano and being in band. Um, and so I think I grew up with this appreciation of music, and I got the fundamentals. I think I rebelled against mom a little bit. She had to hire a piano teacher, so I would listen to that. Cause I wasn't going to do it if mom told me to. Um, but yeah. And I, yeah, we, we play music uh, together and it's, I mean, we, we have, um, we're always talking about it, but we, we do have ideas for, for a side project uh, that, that we've kind of been putting off, but 
you know, we were always, <laughs> it's in, in the back of our minds when we have time to, to work on it. But, um, yeah, I was giving Betsy bass lessons for a little bit and excellent sense of rhythm, you know, don't, <laughs> didn't have to like, you know, teach her about, about groove, uh, which is, um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, you definitely are more talented with music than you give yourself credit for. Okay. But yeah. Ever wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music in Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all. You can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org. listening to songscapes i asked betsy how it came to be that she had the experience of interacting with chimpanzees in tanzania yeah so uh when i was at cambridge um there there was like a thanksgiving dinner that the university put on for the americans who were lonely and missing pie um, so we had Englishified Thanksgiving dinner and there was red, white, and blue all around because, you know, patriotism for Thanksgiving. And uh, I got sat next to these two primatologists, um, one of whom uh, was from like South Dakota and Scotland. Uh, and we just got to chat and, and they're like telling me about the amazing work that they do in Tanzania, uh, researching chimpanzees and their migration movement patterns and threats to their well-being. And that sounded pretty cool. So I was like, hey, if you ever need help, like I can come. <laughs> I've got a wildlife degree. Um, and so after... I got my master's, I headed over to Tanzania to some of their field sites uh, along the western edge, um, kind of bordering Lake Tanganyika, and the objective was to survey areas that weren't currently protected by any sort of like park status or anything and see which areas A, had chimps, and B, how threatened were they? And this information would inform uh, how funding would be prioritized. So if you have like a population and there's a whole bunch of chimps, but it turns out they're doing pretty good. Nobody's trying to poach them. Nobody's 
cutting down their forests, like, all right, it might be more important to spend very limited funds towards protecting another population in an area where there's encroachment um, from development and poaching. And um, yeah, so we'd go to these random spots, pretty random for scientific purposes, and kind of check it out, see what sort of human evidence there was, um, get a count on the chimps, collect their poop so we could look at DNA patterns, but also to see whether they had been infected with basically the ape version, the chimp version of HIV. Um, so it's SIV, simian immunovirus. Um, and yeah, it was, I was supposed to stay there a year, but I think one of my big realizations doing that is I am not Jane Goodall and she is crazy. Oh my God. Like I thought I was going to die every single day. And to know that she did that basically alone decades before I, I just can't, I, I would just die. <laughs> so she's amazing. Um, so I stayed there for a few months and then it kind of shifted how I approached conservation Originally, I thought I'd be more into the hard science of, you know, wildlife research like that. But I got more excited and passionate about the human side of conservation and how human attitudes can influence our policy and the actions that we take, which kind of help lead to sustain. So just before the pandemic, I was taking a playwriting class. And there was a woman, in, <clears throat> excuse me, in my playwriting class who was writing a musical about Jane Goodall. That's amazing. So that's kind of a sustain like uh, for the theater. Um, you guys spend a lot of time in public lands. And I ask all my guests this. I'm going to ask you a little bit with a twist. You can answer both. So what I always ask my guests is, is there that one moment that you sort of can recall um, that just sort of is imprinted in your consciousness about being out in nature, um, which either one of you or both can answer. But I also was kind of curious, since you go to so many different public lands, if you have a favorite. You go first. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, an experience that stands out to me first, uh, I think it would be this one of our our first camping trips together, um, we went to the Catskills um, in New York and um, staying overnight on one of these mountain climbs. Um, can't remember exactly which one. Do you remember? Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, we we're you know set up uh, for the evening, just eating our our dinner, um, and then we uh, we noticed that there's going to be a full moon that night, um, and in the distance we could hear a um, uh, forest grouse. So rough grouse. Rough grouse. See, she's the biologist. <laughs> I don't know the, <laughs> the common names even. Um, but uh, rough grouse, they have um, like for their uh, kind of mating um, call, they do this really crazy thing with their actually wings. Um, and I, I think the sound, you can jump in here, the sound is, is from their, from like the air, from like the actual beating of their the wings 
and it's like this really low drumming sound that starts off like it gets really fast um but like the vibrations are so low that you know when you're sleeping in your tent you can hear it like through the ground and like it just like pulsating like throughout the woods it's insane that this like little bird is just like sitting on a log like flapping its wings and like that's what you're hearing um and that was like the first time i've ever heard anything like that so i think um for me that was just like such a cool experience to to uh be just like there's no one else around and just really experiencing like these really special um just interactions just just being an observer really and just just seeing what everything is what what they're all doing on their own uh all the time is is just like so cool to experience that my favorite public lands moment um there's a lot but i guess one that's pretty special is uh we go to this secret spot which I'll tell you if you join our Patreon where the secret <laughs> spot is, but um, we go backpacking about 12 miles up every 4th of July, uh, and it's in a place where the whole front range of Colorado, so kind of where the mountains meet the plains from Fort Collins down through Denver, um, you're kind of perched above this on this alpine mountaintop and we go up there every year and you can see all the city fireworks shows from above so you just like look out across the plains and there's these little poofs of bright color like no sound because they're way too far away but you just see like little blooms of color all across the plains um and it's usually accompanied by a nature light show (laughs) So there's just like these terrifying uh, lightning lightning <laughs> storms out further, like over Greeley and beyond. Um, so it's this instru- interesting juxtaposition of people's little itty bitty fireworks and nature just like bam. <laughs> um, and so, and then every morning, the next morning, we get up early to go to the top of the mountain for to watch the sunrise over the plains and uh every time when we kind of emerge from our camp spot in the forest cover and get into the alpine meadow there's you're just like overwhelmed with the scent of all the wildflowers up there so you just like walk into the meadow and you're like whoa flowers um and then the sky turns pink and starts illuminating the mountains behind us to the west and i don't know that's a pretty magic spot in roosevelt national forest that's cool too because you don't you don't usually see fireworks from you know yeah down on them and obviously nature's fireworks are, are much more powerful but okay so one word answer or one sentence answer you can't pick two each of you, we'll start with you, Betsy. Favorite public land? Can only go. I'll to one. just say Roosevelt National Forest. Okay, um, Harrison. I'm gonna say, uh, say arches. I want to talk 
about Sustain's messaging a little bit. Um, I know, Betsy, one of the sort of impetuses of starting Sustain was your feeling that the environmental movement was doing things wrong. So can you talk a little bit about that? What is the environmental movement doing wrong? Yeah, uh, great question. And maybe not wrong, but too narrow focused and risk averse. Uh, so I would say that since the 70s, at least, the environmental movement has been very focused on doom and gloom and data, which are important ways to get people's attention, but they're also great ways to make people not pay attention. Um, when I, like, I don't even listen to the news that often anymore because you're like, oh, it's all going to be bad. If I ignore it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, and so I think that with all the very terrible things happening with the environment, if all you hear is bad stuff and you have nonprofits actively trying to make you feel terrible so you open your wallet, um, I don't think it leads to sustainable, lasting cultural change. Uh, and so that's where Harrison and I with Sustain kind of are trying a different tactic to see if it can have an impact. So by using music and partnering with the music industry, we tap into that sort of emotional hook that music provides, that art provides, um, that grabs you in a way that global temperature charts don't really. <laughs> um, and also the cultural sway that kind of popular musicians and bands have. Um, so they're able to get people to pay attention to things that the doom and gloom tactics aren't catching. Um, and by taking a celebratory approach, we just make it more fun. <laughs> um, and I feel like it's a more inclusive, positive way to get people involved in understanding about what's going on in conservation and uh, particularly with public lands protections and stewardship. Um, and I think that kind of perspective and, and taking this celebratory approach was informed by um, my first real job after the chimpanzee thing uh, with Simon Roosevelt, who's Teddy Roosevelt's great-great-grandson, and he's just very uh, thoughtful and um, deliberate in how he continues kind of that Roosevelt legacy of public lands protections and um, embracing innovation in that, and that kind of really inspired me to, like, okay, I know that the model is data doom and gloom, but it doesn't have to be that way. And how can this sustained approach change things? And he's an advisor too to the to sustain. Yeah. Um, which mm -hmm. is great. So the influence continues. So th this is a good time then, because of the positivity related to sustained messaging, to ask you the question that I also ask all my guests, which is 
is there a song that when you hear it or when you're out in nature and you hear it in your own mind that connects you in a positive way because as we know there's a lot of songs that are you know sort of cynical or negative or you know whatever kind of the way you describe the news it's do you guys have a sort of a song that you that you have a positive relationship with nature want to go first want me to you go first okay yeah yeah, once 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 an easier, I guess easier answer would be um with the Parsons Field song Katahdin, which was actually the first songscape that we ever did. And I think that overall just that experience in creating that song um as the first kind of like guinea pig version of songscapes really I think kind of was energizing and I think it kind of just like made us both like oh man we're like we're onto something here like there's something just about seeing the rest of the bandmates um kind of just like experiencing uh you know the the great woods of maine where we were we're staying and then just like creating this song together uh you know in this cabin with the fire going um and then yeah so i, I think any anytime that i'm kind of just like up up back in new england um, in the woods, I, that um, that song kind of just like comes to my mind. Um, but in terms of a song that someone else wrote, um, you know, I I think I don't have like I guess a specific one because I was thinking about this earlier. But and I, I feel like any time that I I hear um, Andrew Bird, um, his music, um, his his arrangements, and um, a lot of the imagery he uses, um, really connect um just natural scenes with um <clears throat> with his lyrics and i think just like the combination of his voice like the whistling that he does and a lot of the ethereal effects like especially like his, when he was um recording that album in uh echolocation uh in a canyon um i think as a musician like a lot of the stuff that he's doing creatively kind of um really speaks to me and and what we do with sustain as well and um uh, yeah, so anything by Andrew Bird really, I think, kind of gets me in in the mindset of like when I'm when I'm hiking or um, really um, just being outside. And I'd say for me, uh, there's a Canadian band called Said the Whale, and some they have just so many songs that really embrace that celebratory experience of nature, and one in particular is called Big Sky Montana. Um, and it kind of tells a story of a grandfather who picked wild wildflowers, um, in the meadows and brings them back to grandma and I don't know, just like expressing love, not only for your people, but also for your environment. One of the verses, my grandfather picks wildflowers at the top of the hill upon the mountainside, and he writes the names in the back of his wildflowers field guide above the ridge and through the valleys to find true love everlasting in delight. And oh, it's so good. I'm going to cry. But yeah, that's my song. So I have come to know the two of you quite well, and I know that this is your life's work. And I know the passion and hours and dedication you put into this. And I wanted to ask you guys before we go, where do you see sustain in five years? 
you know, if one day you, you're chatting with someone off the street and they're like, oh, like I just heard about that, that park because of this, um, you know, because of this band that I listened to. Um, so just, I think being able to make connections to new connections uh, for people to these public lands to have lifelong experiences through music. Um, and so being, if that's being introduced through a band that they listen to, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's this whole new uh, world of, of um, parks that they've never even heard of. And now they, you know, go every summer, um, you know, and, and I think that's something that, that I would love to be a part of, of just people enjoying these places and, um, you know, being stewards of them. Harrison Goodale and Betsy Mortensen. I invite you to join them in their mission to make the world a better place by going to sustainmusicandnature.org. Together, we have a lot of exciting things on the horizon, including new episodes of this podcast. If you like us, please rate us and subscribe. And you have been listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature.